0: This week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Avium finally releases Thunder X2 chips.
1: And Google unveils third-generation TPU.
0: It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone! one Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research. That's Michael Feldman, editor at Top500.org. Michael, This Week in HPC, the long-awaited release of Thunder X2 from Cavium.
1: Yeah, they, they finally got around to release them. They actually unveiled this uh, these chips uh, about two years ago, um, and I think, although they never really told when they'd be uh, releasing them for general availability, I think people always thought that it would be much sooner than this, but yeah, it's it's been a while in the works, and they finally did get around to releasing the, the Thunder X2. These will be the first ARM chips, basically, for the HPC community, so it's sort of a milestone in that sense, and uh, it looks like these are going to be the chips that are going to end up in a lot of the the initial ARM-based uh, HPC clusters and supercomputers that we've we've talked about over the last, uh, what, six or 12 months.
0: That's right. And one of the top among those is the Isambard project out of GW4 in the UK. We've spoken previously with Simon McIntosh-Smith, who's one of the principal investigators there, and uh, they've got to really be looking forward to Getting the benchmarking in on these new systems to get a proof of concept at supercomputing levels of scale for these ARM-based processors.
1: Right, that's probably the largest. The Eisenbar system is probably the largest HP system that's, that's going to go out uh, this year. It's uh, it's basically al- almost all those Thunder X2 chips. Although there's some Xeons in there, there's some Xeon Fives, there's some uh, NVIDIA GPUs for comparison, but there's ten thousand cores of these new Thunder. X2 processors. So we're talking about probably something on the order of 170, 180 teraflops of that. So that's not going to be a big enough system for even the top 500 list, but it's a, it's a very large system for an ARM system. All of these uh, that we've talked about over the last year are, are prototype or experimental systems that people are testing the technology on. So this is a, a fairly large system of, of that kind.
0: This has really been a very long run-up for ARM. I was just looking back to the ISC conference in 2012, almost six years ago now, with my Crossfire panel that I run, and I asked my panelists at that point a speed question about their expectations for ARM on the 2015 Top 500 list, uh, three years into the future from 2012, and there was a debate over whether there would be more than or fewer than 12 systems on the top 500 list based on arm in 2015 here we are coming in on three years later than that it looks like it's still going to be zero but you pointed out in your article on top500.org michael some of the interesting origins on the thunder x2 processor and how it's been uh, the path that we've taken to get from there to here
1: yeah i mean the actual this processor is the you know, it's sort of the second generation of their Thunder X2 chip, but actually it's, it's actually a, the Broadcom Vulcan processor, which they bought, uh, they bought that intellectual property from Broadcom in 2016, and they decided to use that platform as their second generation chip. So it's, it was basically a rebranding process there. So it's a, it's quite a different chip than the Thunder X. And it, again, it, it, it goes into the HPC realm. They've, They've upped the number of cores. They've got a lot of memory bandwidth and uh, support for a lot of um, memory capacity as well. And that's actually sort of the claim to fame of the Thunder X2. It's got uh, like eight memory controllers, so it, it has a lot more memory bandwidth than comparable like Xeon chips, for example, something that they've targeted as their, as their principal competition here. And it'll support more memory as well. So they've balanced out Sort of the flops in the memory a little bit more evenly in these things, and and then they they've undercut the price here um, quite a bit compared to Xeons. They're basically a fraction of the price of a high-end Xeon, although they don't quite meet that in floating point performance. So um, they've positioned these things as sort of an interesting basis. It's not going to be just for HPC, but certainly that's one of their big target markets, and they 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 want to get this out there as uh, and go head-to-head against uh, the latest Xeon Skylake processors.
0: Yeah, it's a good analysis, Michael. I mean, you point out they make certainly some claims about being comparable to Xeon in performance, but for HPC workloads, they're just not there in terms of raw flops. But if they're competing as a price performance chip by being less expensive, or as you point out, memory capacity per dollar, could be quite competitive. So we're really going further into this specialized era of looking at what does your workload look like and try to match that to an architecture that, that suits your organization the best.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and of course, there's a number of OEMs that have committed systems to these, including Cray and HPE and Atos and Penguin. So there's all these systems that are already supporting these ThunderX2 chips and the, the, some of the systems we've mentioned that are, Going to be deployed this year are are using those um, those vendors to do this. Uh, So it's it's something that's obviously it's in trial. These are experimental systems. But uh, again, this is sort of a milestone. It's the beginning of of maybe a new era in uh, in HPC as far as architectural platforms. And it just remains to be seen how far into how 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 much of the market uh, this this ARM platform can, can capture.
0: Well, and furthermore, the bulk of the HPC market is below the the echelon of the top 500 list. Right. So if we're getting scalability into the hundreds of teraflops, uh, that's something that a lot of organizations, including commercial organizations, can start looking at for their HPC workloads. So it doesn't have to be into supercomputing realm of performance before we start seeing an impact in the market. And we're going to Keep watching for that, including in our newest site census survey, which is in the field right now. We'll see if we... Pick up any arm uh, exploration in the field in our current survey. Michael, meanwhile, this week in HPC, Cavium isn't, uh, Cavium Thunder X2 isn't the only new processor we're looking at. It's not, it's more of a hyperscale processor or, or an AI processor than a, uh, than an HPC processor. But Google gave some details about its new third generation TPU.
1: Right. They they unveiled this at their Google I.O. conference this past week, um, and they didn't provide a whole lot of detail on what the, the new third generation TPU, the Tensor Processing Unit, is like. They just gave a few pictures and talked about a sort of, a, they alluded to sort of a, the new performance values of it, but they didn't talk about the details of the architecture. Um, it, it is a whole new chip than their second generation, which was, again, different from their first generation. Um, but basically, they unveiled this. Uh, it's it's work, working in their own data centers at some level, although I'm suspecting there's not too many of them deployed right now since they, they just talked about them. But it's um, a little bit impressive in the sense um, the Google CEO said that the, the TPU pods on this new generation um, processor, the pods are basically these multi-rack systems. They they build to get these TPUs together and is eight times as performant as the second generation pods. And that's a a bit misleading because the pods are much bigger and have a lot more of the TPU chips in them. But even considering that, it looks like the new TPUs are about twice as powerful as the second generation version. So in, in the space of a year, maybe a little bit more, they did a lot of work to get the performance up, and that that in itself is impressive for a company that, that well, doesn't make chips for a living.
0: Well, and furthermore, they're pri- almost entirely making them for themselves. Uh, right. What we're really looking at is Google is a company of enough size doing enough uh, deep learning internally that it becomes worthwhile for them to make their own custom Tensor processing chip exclusively for their own use. Now, they're measuring all the performance here in Tensor flops, so when you see the high flop numbers, message to our listeners that's going to be a lot different than the double precision uh, flops that we're accustomed to thinking of in HPC or on the top 500 list. This is really down below single precision into the half precision realm. Uh, But, uh, you know, in as much as they might have these TPU offerings in their pods in the Google Cloud, that's minor compared to what they're doing internally. And I, I don't see this really being a commercial force where Google's trying to make a lot of money by selling access to these.
1: Yeah, I mean they had just announced their TPU cloud offering uh, a few weeks ago with their second generation chips and and right now you can only I think basically rent a single TPU board at a time although eventually they're saying you'll be able to rent whole whole pods which are which are multi petaflop um systems. And then eventually be able to rent these TPU 3.0 pods as well, which are much more performant. But yeah, it remains to be seen how much uh, commercial traction we get out of this. It's it's an exotic architecture. Um, You have to use Google's own software stack, obviously, for these things. Um, But they're they're trying to prove them out. Google, I think, itself is excited about this and does see a commercial path for customers for for the public to use these things i think they just have to develop the ecosystem and, and sort of push through that but they've put up some you know fairly impressive performance numbers on real applications using their own hardware so uh, it just remains to be seen how how much they'll be able to penetrate the the cloud market going forward
0: Well, Michael, I think you said something really important there is that you have to use Google's own software stack. That, I think, Google is much more interested in getting people to use than the Tensor processor itself. If the Tensor processor is rare enough that people are willing to uh, go to some lengths to go try them out in the Google Cloud, the big thing Google wants to do is get people using the Google software stack anywhere in the Google Cloud because it's those modules that will hook people into the Google Cloud on an ongoing basis. I think mean, Google cares about that much more than they care about whose processors. They'll do anything they can to get more people using that Google Cloud, and Google software stack is is a big part of that. But I don't think we'll see Google processors out there in some other form, a Google TPU that can be used with some other software stack, because the whole point is it has to be a draw into the into the Google environment.
1: Yeah, having said that though, it's it's basically if, if your application is written for um using TensorFlow, which is basically the high level framework on top of this thing, you can you can take your application and, and go put it somewhere else if if you know you don't like the uh if if you get disenchanted with TPUs or Google to some extent. But it's yeah, the lower level stack is certainly something you'd have to use. Um the other wildcard eventually Google could sell these TPUs to third parties. Now, it's sort of hard to envision how or maybe even why they would do that, but that that's certainly a possibility um, if they could form some sort of synergistic partnership with another uh, cloud provider of some sort. Um, and in that case, they could improve sort of the commercial viability of these TPUs. So they've never talked about that, but it to me, it, it still remains a possibility if, if these things start getting enough traction.
0: I think that's highly unlikely just from a business case standpoint because that goes beyond just building them for themselves to now going into competition with its own suppliers. And that's just a different business case to, to put forward.
1: Yeah, it, they wouldn't sell them to, say, um, you know, a, 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 a head-to-head competitor, but I could see them finding certain – Certain people, where they it might make sense, but again, um, they haven't talked about that, and those relationships would still have to form. But uh, still a possibility. I think Google itself is very committed to this architecture. Uh, I have a feeling they're already working on the fourth generation version as we speak.
0: Oh, that I don't doubt at all. And Google's still going to be there, buying more hyperscale and investing more of their own technology. In the years to come. All right, Michael, well, thanks very much for two more interesting news stories. That'll wrap it up for this week in HPC, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.